0: Welcome to this BS on Aerospace and Defense podcast. I'm Pat Hindle, Media Director for Microwave Journal and Signal Integrity Journal, and I'm joined by our host, Brian Goldstein, President, Analog Devices Federal, and Vice President of Aerospace and Defense at Analog Devices, and also Sean Darcy, Director of Aerospace and Defense at BAE Systems. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Pat. Pat Appreciate it. good to see you. Sean? Brian? Yeah. With all the uh, activity in the artificial intelligence area, we thought that would be a great time to discuss AI in the context of our industry, including some of the possible applications and concerns in the aerospace and defense. And Sean,
1: uh, you have a lot of thoughts on this, and I know Brian does too, so let's get started and, with... And I want you to know, before just before uh, we talk about this topic, uh, to get refreshed, I went and watched Terminator last right. week. So, um, Skynet. I'm I'm
0: fresh. I'm (laughs) fresh. We're ready to go now. Yeah. Plus you were on the panel recently and that came up. Yeah. So how can AI be used to reduce the amount of data transferred from sensors and speed decision-making in the aerospace and defense applications?
2: I guess I'll go first. And I I, I like what Brian said, because Skynet, I think, is a a great name. If you guys don't know, that's the system in the Terminator that ends humanity. Also, I I always got a kick about there's three or four companies that use it as their product name. True, true. But it's a good question. So I think one of the, the things that's pretty obvious is people have been looking at AI, especially at the edge, not just so much as a way to make decisions, right? But I think as a way to quickly come up with algorithms or software code that quickly decimates data i think that is something that a lot of people aren't looking at enough right now um one of the things i always like to use is in chat gtp one of the things that everybody started doing is asking it to write computer code for it yeah um, i was one of the guys that did it and it does an amazing job
0: And some people got in trouble for it.
2: That's right. But one of the things that I think we haven't been using for, there's a lot of stuff where you actually try to make decisions close to the edge. But a lot of times, I think in our industry, we're not quite to the point of trusting the system to make a decision close to the edge. But I think something we can do, the first one is to actually use that AI to probably in a much more expedient way, make the code that goes in those devices. Um, the other thing is is that there's a lot of thing, a lot more I think can be done with testing, right? That we as we start looking at true edge nodes, detectors, sensors, digital decimation, everything on the edge, we're seeing a lot more variability, right? As companies start to make this. Uh, I think what we're starting to fall behind is the ability to test those into all the corner cases. I think there's a lot of opportunity for AI to start generating corner cases that maybe we as humans may not discover until something's actually already gone wrong and gone south. So
1: I think that's too. Big. Yeah, no that's that's really good. You know, uh we talked about, you know, why do we need to make the decisions at the edge, mm-hmm. right? And there's a lot of effort into, you know, being able to make decisions much more quickly, provide in in the case of defense provide, you know, provide the uh the warfighter intelligence uh mm-hmm. and information as quickly as possible, decisions can be made as quickly as possible, but Ultimately, there's the latency problem, but there's also just the volume of data that we're able to collect now. Right. We're able to we're able to transition analog to bits in such volume now, right. and the ability just to transmit that data back to the cloud—it's mm-hmm. just—it's a task that's um, just becoming impossible. Yeah. And so you know, being able to make decisions and process right at the edge is is you know just a little background of why why we need no, this AI, AI technology there.
2: That's true. And you think about the other, the other challenge is not just things on the edge. Sensors can, even a, a high-speed converter and a detector and a sensor in a data center, You know, modern systems can bury that by itself. So even when people, people have challenged the edge computing model with SpaceX or somebody like that, will provide so much bandwidth. But even so, it's more bandwidth we can do. So, I'd like to actually continue on something that Brian was saying is uh, something that I think is actually really interesting is probably intelligent digital decimation, right? Decimating that data to something we can use and being flexible enough to have that sensor decide how to do that without human interaction, right? Because by the time we actually get to it and we start actually being involved, it's taken way too long. We may have lost the signal, lost what we're looking at. I tell you something else I love to see AI do is when you have, um, it kind of goes back to controlling the bandwidth, you have something like an, on, um, let's say an airborne asset, something like a, a Reaper or a Predator on orbit. It can have 32 HD cameras. It can have various SIG and ELINT, et cetera, systems on there. Having it be quick enough and smart enough to actually go between those systems and only send us what we care about, that would be amazing for you to do that. Because right now you still have an operator, right? And, and adversaries are moving much quicker, right? They can hop around spectrum, hop around optical. Having the system doing that so an operator sitting in a van, a control van doing it, I think goes a long way to giving us an, a it,
1: very It's interesting. Sense. You just, I'm going to hop around a little bit. You know, you just got into the Reaper and the Predator yeah. and, and these drones that are out there flying around on their own with their own sensors with their own mission you know how close are we to these things being independent and and really being able and i think this is what you know when we talk about ai and machine learning i think this is when you get into that terminator scenario and and do you believe that that's something you know there's a lot of talk is that something we should be worried about Mm -hmm. and do you think that they were ever ever really be without man man making decisions. Well, I think it's
0: progressed so fast. You've seen Wozniak and Musk come out and say, whoa, whoa, we got to put a little bit of brakes on here to consider that scenario being an issue. So it's definitely, they're smart enough to say that it must be uh, something of concern, at least in my book.
2: Well, you look at like autonomy, right? Airborne has probably led, led the autonomy revolution for years, right? We've Since the late 80s, right, IAI had the Huron drone. You know, very much they fly by themselves, right? 20 years ago, we had fly by mouse. You really didn't have to fly. You to tell where to go. Getting that thing and looking at the difference between a drone carrying a weapon, looking at a target, maybe prosecuting or interrogating a target, and then making a decision on its own to fire a Hellfire missile... I just think ethically we are probably, and, and rightfully so, 15, 20 years away. You know, one of the things I think it's always challenged people, even autonomous systems, is having a very small LO drone even go prosecute a coastal radar battery or something like that. Um, I think it's a long way before we would actually let any type of weapon system, asset, et cetera, Go possibly take another human life without a human being yeah, actually sure.
0: yeah.
1: interrogating it. But but you could imagine it could easily you, get there. But you could imagine something that's more passive like a uh, listening device oh, yeah. uh, sensing and then automatically on its own jamming and bouncing oh, yeah. between frequencies and recognizing something that's out there and being oh, yeah. able to counteract that on its own. That's, that's not hard to imagine
2: for sure. No, and I think that'd be a good use, right? You know, Far faster than you and I can detect, analyze, and hop to the next frequency. We're, we're trying to jam, you know, an adversary the frequency hopping radio, right? We need to actually get on band so fast that he doesn't get any transmission. AI—it's it's not just simple programming, right? He can change all over the place. How does AI do that and actually start patterning, do anticipation, get there before he does? Maybe
1: intercept even before jam. That'd be that'd be a real cool holy grail. So, so I, I had a question for you, Sean. You, you, you know, because you you are a pilot, and you know, getting into um, how comfortable how comfortable we are are we with AI and the, making these decisions for us, and even in autopilot as a pilot. How comfortable are you when you're on a plane, letting go of total control of the aircraft, even if you were to consider takeoff and landing? How comfortable would you be, even now? Yeah.
2: So I think more and more, unfortunately, pilots are on board to deal with anomalies and emergencies. You know, once you become a basic pilot, nobody ever questions your ability to take off and land. We are we are there to almost be flight engineers, right? A good a good example if I can go back in time is, you know, years and years ago, an aircraft had five six guys up front, a navigator, three pilots, and a flight engineer. Sometimes two flight engineers. Nowadays, it's pilot co pilot. And so we, we've been relegated to a role of engineer. Many, many times you fly across the country, um, you go on autopilot at 1,000 feet, you disengage the autopilot at 200 feet. You fly the entire thing with a keyboard. If you've ever been in the cockpit of an Airbus, it's got a keyboard with a side stick, right? There's a thing called Cat3 Autoland. It's been around for over, over 20 years. It lands the airplane for you. A lot of times, there's some European airports that you've flown into, you'll notice you're zero zero. So, zero visibility, zero feet, and the airplane lands. Um, it's completely landed by computer. It's not AI at all. It's, it's based on an ILS, you know, a, a very accurate RF steerage beam. So, I guess growing up around flight management systems and autopilots, I'm used to that do I think right now AI could understand that I've got a, a fractured collector and hydraulic system and be able to save the flight that were outside of a checklist or off checklist?
0: I don't think so yet.
2: Now, could it get there pretty quick? Yes. The nice thing is AI, does AI, the question a lot of people have asked about, you know, an autonomy in AI is, does it make the
0: same mistake twice? And a lot of people would say it does. So. Yeah. So how about, you know, we kind of talked about areas where you – it would make a real impact is that you know is data crunching the area where you really see now to make the largest impact that AI would have you know I,
2: I I think that's what we're
0: looking at
2: now I think as Brian said making decisions at the edge how complex they are I think I I don't know yet I don't know how complex they get but I think that becomes critical I think to kind of cut to the chase, the big thing that scares a lot of people in AI, right? There's an article in the news this morning. Is how many jobs lost by AI? Okay. You know, you already are. I, I did this. I actually I asked it to. I wrote a program a couple of years ago, uh, connected a high speed converter just to a ba- do a basic FFT, and instead of using an FPGA, I used a different signal chain. Right? I wrote the code for that myself. I asked chat gtp.ai to write the exact same thing to me. I had to define it a couple of times to make sure I got it right. It wrote code that compiled and I only need to tweak a couple lines to get it to work. I spit out the right data. And I think that's a worry. The next thing is, is that when you start looking at those of us who are engineers as well, is now they're starting, you know, there was a there was a funded program years ago to try to make it much more automated and fast to design components, design semiconductors. I could see that coming pretty quick,
1: right? yeah I, I mean, can think, start that, that I think it's coming changed. and I think, just like you described uh, I don't uh with the with the planes i don't think I don't think that the automated design tools get rid of the designer, right there's still black magic, there's still experience that's required, there's still understanding at different levels of the topography and the thermals and the shapes and the in all the different interactions you know we've been using optimizers on these design tools for many many years and again that's not ai that's monte Carlo statistical you know brute force just jamming in different numbers into the simulation but at the end of the day you still need someone there to look at the answer and say you know what that still makes physical sense and so I think it will make things faster, especially the rudimentary tasks, like the little software scripts that you're talking about. It will make things quicker and easier. But I still think you need that personal touch to ensure that the answer makes sense and uh, to make sure that there's a reality and a producibility behind it. So if I can throw a question over your way,
2: some people actually would say, well, that's true you're going to severely impact the number of engineers you need. And that, you know, it becomes more of a game of chemistry than it does actually be able to design a mask set or things like that. The government actually has funded programs specifically looking to do that, to be able to, you know, how how much, you know, how much of designing the the next transceiver core can be done in AI and how fast does it learn, right? You're, I, I totally agree we're going to still need the, the the discipline there but does it eliminate a lot of basically what would be year one
1: through 10 in your career that maybe go away completely yeah no no doubt I mean the, look the, the, the industry chain has gone through yeah. constant change I remember back in the 90s as we started to manufacture things in Asia yeah. and, and they started to design in Asia as well I said boy, All of our jobs are going to Asia and Japan and China, manufacturing and Thailand. What are we all gonna do? It just changes what we do, right? It, It actually accelerated the number of engineers and technical people we needed. They were just doing different things. And so again, maybe we're not designing semiconductor cores. Maybe we are now working at the system level and, and we're figuring out how to use those new cores and those advanced techniques. Same thing when we talk about digital beamforming and getting rid of the RF section in front of the high-speed converter. What are all the RF microwave engineers going to do? Well, they're going to move up higher in frequency where the high-speed converters still need to be down converted. Right, so, so I don't uh, think this uh, removes the jobs. I, I frankly believe that technology increases jobs. But it may change the skill set yeah. of the job. You got philosophical. But that's-, <laughs> but that's really
2: good because, right? That if you look at a lot of the articles that have been published in the last couple of weeks, it's all been about, you know, how many jobs are impacted by this, right? One of the first people to adopt this has been, as we all know, the chat chatbots, right? That you you call up customer service, um, but now they're, you know, I think it did scare a lot of people and they think it'd start bloody writing code. Um, it can actually start doing designs. It does cabinet design for you. It does some pretty complex mechanical engineering things for you. Um, I, I think the the mechs and the double E's, like you said, Brian, the world may change.
1: But how come I, I still never get an answer when I talk to those chatbots? I'll give you an example. they don't like you. I don't, I, I'll give you an example. I, was, <laughs> I had a problem with my cable television. I won't name the cable television company, but I was having problems. I called they gave me a chatbot. The chatbot ah. sent me to the website. I went to the website. The website said, call this phone number. And I got back to the chatbot. And I ended up in an endless loop. Endless and so I think I'm still on hold. Sure. <laughs> well, speaking of those, so we, we talked about how it can write code.
0: But does this threaten you know, like algorithms and code IP? Some of that escaped from a company recently, and uh, that was a big deal. So I'll touch on that one. That, that one
2: actually has become, you know, you've seen that manifest Primarily in the new engines that create graphics, right? And some good examples is somebody did a, just a, a bit of, you know, for research purposes, uh, told one of the engines to create a bunch of pictures of a woman in a business suit at a podium, but make her look like Jennifer Lawrence, but not so much that they would actually own the rights to it. And it's very, very close and so that kind of escaped you know a lot of times even before ai just brute force random evolutionary computing which i can bore the two of you about for hours as you guys both know i'm into that stuff but even that could probably violate ip sooner or later right it's basically figuring out you've got inputs and outputs to a black box how do you generate code to do that I think something down that line where people get worried is that the AI comes up with a solution in a different way than a human being thinks, but still takes your IP, right? So now, does IP move from a world of protected code snippets algorithms, mask sets functionality, or does it go to actually truly function, right? I am now controlling, I have IP of a function. I can see that changing. I'm not a lawyer, I don't even play one on TV,
1: but, uh, I can see a lot of changes when it comes to yeah, that. That's so very philosophical. If a if a if Socrates if a bot creates a, if a bot creates an answer, can yeah. the comper, company who got the answer from the bot now it's their IP? They get to put a patent on it. And if the bot was to give the same answer to everybody, and everybody's out trying to right. patent it simultaneously, that's so. Have you seen
2: the things about how they generate graphic pictures? No. So if if you ask it to make a picture of a dog and the AI generates a picture of a dog, the same thing happens. Two people now have a picture they're trying to have rights to and copyrights. Right now, there's a lot of gyrations about, is that copyrightable?
0: Yeah.
2: Right? And how much of, you know, Pat, Brian, and Sean coaxing that thing and and telling it a million times to do it the right way, is that really us being creative? Or are we just three hacks that just keep telling the damn thing until it gets something we like? Um, so that's that's going to be a big challenge.
0: So I had another uh, subject. Uh, you know, given programs have been funded to automate more of the integrated circuit design. You know, when do you see AI being able to effectively perform IC design? And you know, how
1: long before that actually contributes to the system? Yeah, I mean, I touched on it a little bit, but it's already happening, right? And again, it gets into what's the definition of AI. But there's already there's already tools. That are being developed to be able to, you know, be able to give the design tool a specification, a size, a shape, and and um, the, and being able to take a first shot at it. There's already optimization tools where you can set parameters and and be able to set the specs and be able to set the the boundary conditions on different parameters in the design, and the software is able to take a first shot at manipulating the parameters, and so. It's already happening. There are a number of the software design companies that are putting efforts into these areas and are, uh, are well along the way. And again, I don't think it gets rid of the design engineer. I just think it changes the role of the design engineer. And hopefully, in the, the meaning of this all is to make it easier and faster, and faster. so that the, the human can be doing things that are more high value right and so that definition of high value just keeps moving up it. Oh, I agree keeps changing that. and moving up and mm-hmm. actually ai is able to do more of the work for us yeah i, I think i agree with most of that I, I would say there could be
2: you know us being in the electrical field will say one thing the mechanical guys are hoping the same thing but we have we can't we have to take less from those guys some of their value did get diminished right the mechanical guys yeah. you know ai can go in there like you said, it will change the definition. Does it change the number, the quantity? That, that could definitely happen. And um, I'll tell you something that I, I've always been, you know, thinking about over the last, you know, hey, this whole AI explosion is only a couple months old, right? Something that I've been really thinking about is the ability, as kind of takeoff what Brian was saying, is for me to actually ask AI to make customized. Silicon. Right, I only need four wafers. I don't need a hundred of them. In the defense industry, right, we don't we don't buy anywhere near as much as consumer. Right, say I need something that is not twelve to twenty or twelve to forty or you know the, the typical six to eighteen gigahertz. I need something customized. That I would hope AI could do, right, very quickly even if you could do tests, right? I mean, one thing I think that AI is going to be really cool is, is when it actually can do the end-to-end test, right? Now, I don't know if little robots or cobots are going to take the die and then slice them up, the wafers and the tape outs and do all that crap. But having the ability for it to do customized and customized matching would be nice, right? As we get up higher in the spectrum, it's getting harder and harder. Once we get out of digital and we get an RF to actually find all the matching components that go to that signal chain having something where ai maybe even a bit of brute force but can be the ones that we quickly have system engineers going direct to do that uh, i could see that being a major major benefit and that cost benefit could drive it
1: very fast and and we're already we're already starting to design some of these these algorithms into our chip designs so that we can optimize performance right you know things like quadrature error correction and filter Spur tuning and things like this, being able to sense spurs, being able to move the filter to cancel that spur, being able to change power and phase in order to get quadrature cancellation. These are things that are already happening. And so be able to take that at the chip level and then build out to the system level. Is what makes this really exciting. Yeah. Because, Jarvis, Jarvis, get rid of the Spurs. Right, we're <laughs> gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna take, we're gonna take this to the next level of performance yes. as well. And so it's, it's the benefits start at the very
0: ground up. I mean, the sky's the limit of of the impact. So we we mentioned the concerns. How concerned are you guys? You know, are you concerned about a system taken on its own? You know making its own decisions and doing things you don't
1: want it to do. I'm happy to have it take care of everything. <laughs> you know, it's too much for us to have the to think this much. Yeah. yeah.
2: So I, have, I will say, I think what gets, is inevitably going to happen is first, people are going to be able to use AI to put together large sets of data, large signals. It could be anything, right? And be able to start digging through and analyzing immense amounts of information people, companies adversaries etc that previously may not have been able to do that AI especially if AI has the ability to understand writing code, doing analysis kind of your thing about how can a system automatically just autocorrect and get rid of the spurs? I want to go to a different Microsoft you know can I just literally log in and tell it to do that with my voice that that's pretty close. But what I see now is things where companies have spent a significant amount of time to collect data and then have all the tools to analyze it and do a lot of good decisions or even, you know, do things with the defense industry with it. I think now that becomes much more vulnerable.
0: So does, it, do does it level the playing field that, you know, people spent all this time and money yeah. on technology and now somebody can just come yeah, in and just that's, that's grab the, it from them? It's that's the concern, but also, I mean, it's, they take, it's not necessarily
2: to grab it from, but they can take the same. If you think of a, a small company trying to do the same analysis, something like IBM does now can the three of us in our basement do the exact same thing Watson's doing for the rest 20 years. That could be pretty scary to that kind of industry. Conversely, right, I don't think it's all that, right? A lot of things, if you look in the outside of defense, I know we talk usually about defense, but look at the medical industry, right? Being able to do these meta-studies where you actually combine, you know, thousands and thousands of data sets to try to figure out what the causation of cancer is or, you know, some of the things they're doing in Alzheimer's research. That means now a physician or a researcher, provider doesn't have to have a PhD in statistics, to be able to find out, you know, some really good, strong correlations and causations. So there's there's a good
1: side to it, too. Yeah, yeah. that's it. I think we dwell on the negative and mm-hmm. all the bad things that could possibly happen. Yeah. But I think that what we need to do, and I think what overrides all that, is the positive impact yeah. to humanity. And that's why ultimately everybody in the government are spending so much money on this, mm-hmm. is to, you know, how do we cure cancer? How do we, how do we save the life of a person that's out in the middle of nowhere, how do we, you know, how do we solve these world's biggest problems? And if AI allows that to happen in our lifetime, then it, at the end of the day, it was probably worth it.
2: Yeah, I and mean, a, good, a good example is you see guys that spend hours and hours and hours in the lab testing and everything else and all of us have done engineering tasks where we are on the bench it's not the most exciting thing in the world um it's not even probably as brian said earlier it's not probably a good productive use of our time we could be doing the higher level problem i'd love to see ai start automating that right how does it actually know to go to the next test how does it see a difference in the rf signal i want to change it etc like said, i think there's a lot of good there there's probably more good than bad
0: you know, and, until Arnold shows up, then I, I might have to recant that saying, you know. And we, we already talked about the impact on the workforce. We think it'll just kind of shift the way
1: the jobs. you know, what we do, how we do it. Again, that's me being optimistic. And I think, again, my whole life and for, you know, for much longer than that, we've always been worried that, you know, everything's going to take away our jobs. You know, jobs going overseas is going to take away our jobs. Robots are going to take away our job. I think that this is just another tool that make humanity leap further forward. Yeah, I think it might
2: change, right? I think every major advance might change, you know, the things people don't like to talk about, it may change the value of the job, right? You may not, you know, say that AI gets good at physics, well, the physicist may no longer make $500,000 a year. He may be coming down to $200,000. A year. Is that how much they make? I don't know. <laughs> Can't speak about that. But but you sometimes see that mix. But I think one thing I would kind of roll into some what Brian said is a lot of that threat to the job and workforce is how flexible are you, are you as a person, right? You know, I'll look at the elephant in the room, right? People are really always concerned that engineering jobs are high paying. It's a hard degree everything else right we've all seen people with 40 degrees in engineering who work at walmart right because they weren't flexible they couldn't change that's i think the key to this right you always see the dynamic change in a way that some people have to adapt to change and if they do not unfortunately they get left behind it's always been
1: that like, yeah so i'd say um, the, um... Today's conversation, I think, it's been the most philosophical one that we've <laughs> yes, had. Yes, it is. That we've had. Plato,
2: Socrates. Who's another philosopher? Right? I'm not that
0: one versed. Confucius. Artist, you know? Yeah. And so, on on another topic, what happens when AI is used, like, to select parts and place orders? You know, how does that impact our
1: way of doing business? Boy, for me, I, I you know, I was thinking about that as we were talking. I see that to just be an incredibly positive way of using this technology. The idea of being able to figure out where products are in inventory, especially coming out of COVID with the supply constraints to be able more quickly, to be able to automatically place orders when things are running low, instead of having the little tags in your bins reminding you that it's time to place an order. I can imagine a million scenarios of really improve, improving the ability to, uh, you know, refresh stock and to keep the manufacturing floors moving much more regularly. So I see that as a very, very positive use. And I guess what I, what I
2: see on that question is, you know, coming from the side that you know, buys semiconductors and puts them on boards is I think the impact there is probably in essence to the sales force, Right the guy's actually selling to And probably not in a negative way, right? Now they get to go, again, solve the high heart problem. You know, they don't need to be holding my hand as I go to the Digi-Key catalog or, or call Brian and say, where the hell is the next 809361? You know, now you have an AI system that I think you take a design, and now can we put other things in the model? Can we look at obsolescent risks? Can we look at overseas risks, right? There's a big push to move more onshore, right? Yeah. If, I, if I'm if i actually putting together a system and I have AI that can be actually starting to show things that have matched before, things we've had success before, I don't need to be calling a human being and placing a set of orders and tracking it. I have an AI system that knows bloody well I need 23 of these amplifiers, I need them now, and, can, and better yet, here's another one, I can actually set it out so linearity and demand signal to the factory is better. I think it does change the way you buy things. Yeah. I, think the, I think the historical thing with FAEs and everybody else coming in—that I can see that down like changing. I see AI possibly changing a lot of that how it's done, how the part selection is actually done from the board manufacturing
1: side. So. Yeah, and we've got we've got a whole we have a whole team of what's called component engineers. Yeah. These are folks that are looking at all the bills of material of everything that's in production right now, and talking to all the suppliers every day about how long yeah. is this product going to be in production. I'm thinking about using this product in my next generation. Is it the right product to use? Does it have the quality requirements? I, you know, boy, I can imagine a lot of people that would love to have that automated.
0: Yeah, I'm predicting uh, reliability issues. You were okay. talking about that earlier, you know, yeah. are we calling things? Could you not have to recall everything? You could just put it in AI right. and they could tell you,
2: yeah, it's OK. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, any other last thoughts?
2: Comments. Like well, I think I think the George Jetson comment is actually more appropriate in the AI than it was for
1: the last conversation. So I'm gonna let Brian close the George Jetson. Well, I don't think this is about George Jetson this time. I think it's about Sarah Connor. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> making sure that this AI and M L technology is used only for world good <laughs> and making sure that Arnold, you know, sticks to That's right.
0: (laughs) Oh, she brought him over to her side. That's right. (laughs) And the the second one on, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) I'll be back. So, okay. Well, thanks, Brian and Sean, for your insights on AI and the implications on our industry. If our listeners have any topics they want to hear about, you know, please email me at p.hindle at mwjournal.com Thanks for listening, and keep an eye out for our next episode in about a month from now.